grab it. Uh, we're going to go Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We have so much to cover today that I'm afraid these babies are going to be toddlers by the time I'm done. All right? Um, one of the things that God continually presses on my heart as your pastor is for us to constantly be transforming more deeply into a biblically literate, a biblically sound, and a biblically, I can only say biblically so many times, a biblically living community of faith where God is not merely a footnote in your life or something that exists for that two-hour margin you reserve for him on Sunday mornings. We want God to have a much bigger, more encompassing place in our life. In fact, we want there not to be a square inch of our lives of which God is not clearly moving, clearly transforming, and clearly in. So today what we're going to do is look at a key doctrine, and by doctrine we mean teaching on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Or another way to phrase it is this, what results from our salvation in Jesus Christ by faith through grace alone? What are the results of that change that has happened to those of us that have received that salvation. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to step through some fun words, just throwing it out there right now, some fun words like imputation and justification and propitiation and sanctification. And yeah, so, he, so here's my encouragement before you click on your iPhone and, and start planning your vacation for May, you know, instead of Googling those, those words right now, all right? Let, let's pray, and I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious when I say this right now. Let's pray and commit to becoming a church that develops such an affection for Christ and His Word that our appetites for growing in our knowledge of Him become just absolutely insatiable. You guys following me on that? So with that, again, let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians 5. I want you guys to get set up for uh, verse 16. The text we're going to cover today is a mirror, okay? It's a mirror. It's a mirror of gospel truth for us. So we can think of it like this. When you step on a scale, and there's probably a lot of people here that don't like to do it. I'm one of those guys. But when you step on a scale, that scale can be wrong. Right. It's grassy. <laughs> a lot of scales can be wrong, right? But here's, here's the horror of a mirror. A mirror just doesn't lie. Mirrors don't lie. There's no technology for a mirror to become a liar, Right? What many of us do, though, is we step in front of the mirror and we stand at such an angle that we stop and say, I look good right there, right? I'm good right there. Or like when you take, you know, 100 selfies until you get that one shot where you look nothing like yourself, and that's the one you post on Facebook or Instagram, right? The problem with that on a spiritual level is that God, God doesn't wear glasses, all right? He doesn't need to get regular checkups at the optometrist. Does he? He sees us clearly. He knows our angles. He doesn't look at your new profile pic on Facebook and go, dang, man, I didn't realize they'd been working out and lost all that weight. That's just not something that occurs to God when he looks at us and looks deeply in us. And at the same time, God has given Christians the Holy Spirit who actually mirrors where we're at spiritually as we engage in a battle between our flesh and spirit and experience the tension and friction that comes between the desires of the spirit, which we have once we know Jesus, and the desires of the flesh that are still there even after we know Jesus. All right? So it's kind of like dieting, right? Like, I want to be fit. I mean, I want to be fit. I think all of us want to be fit. 
but, but I also crave foods that make me fat, you know? So there, there's, there's a tension there. Raise your hand if you struggle with that like me. All right. Well, some of you want to be honest. I appreciate that. So today we're going to see what it means to live by the Spirit and the fruit that results from the fight to do just that. And here's a little context as we're in the book of Galatians. The Galatian church was just a literal hot mess. That's what's going on right here. Not long after the church had accepted the gospel from Paul, these agitators came in and they said, here's the thing, you guys, you've gotten it wrong. You not only have to be justified by faith, which is the gospel, but you also need to be circumcised. Sorry, I had to say that word because that's what it says. You have to be circumcised. In our lingo, we might say, Jesus isn't enough. You need Jesus plus something else. So Paul writes a letter saying, he uses these, these words earlier in the book. He says, who has bewitched you, Galatians? He's not, not talking about the popular sitcom from the 60s. He's saying, who has tricked you? Who has fooled you into believing something contrary to the gospel? He goes on to say things like, why do you want to be in bondage to that which the gospel has freed you from? And that's always our question. That's always, always, always our question. And it's that, is our lives marked by faithlessness or fruitfulness, all right? In reality, fruit results from faithfulness. And faithfulness to Christ is freedom to be fruitful. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So let's pick up Galatians 5, pick up in verse 15. Excuse me, 16. It says this, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Then he says this. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then he says in verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So let's just start out the beginning. When we get into this first passage here in verse 16, where he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Let's establish who this Spirit is. Who is the Holy Spirit? I'm not assuming everybody here knows who the Holy Spirit is. Let's talk about who the Holy Spirit is. Well, he's the third person of the Trinity who has eternally existed with God the Father and God the Son. Jesus describes him in John 14 as... The Helper, this is what he says about the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So after Jesus died, after he rose on the third day and then ascended to heaven, he left us 
the Holy Spirit who lives inside our hearts and minds, as John 16 says, to guide us into all truth by glorifying Jesus. All right? So how we might describe it is like this. When you are saved to faith in Jesus Christ, there is an inward change that increases your desire to please God, and then as well as increasing your desire to please God, your sensitivity to Him increases when you don't please Him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, because of your love for Jesus, sinning against Him bothers you. It causes grief and remorse, and it leads you to repentance. And this is the result of the Holy Spirit shaping and softening your heart into the heart of Jesus. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the defining work of the Holy Spirit and the place that the Holy Spirit has in our hearts. So, if the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who we just established very quickly, lives inside of us, here's what we want to answer. What does it mean then? What the heck is Paul talking about when he says, Walk by the Spirit. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit? Well, very simply, let's just run off of this. What walking by the Spirit with all those bys and of the Spirits mean, it means living out, very simply, all right? Track with me here. It means living out the new life you've received in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. So when we go to verse 16... He says, if you're walking by the Spirit, you will not be working to satisfy the sinful longings, lusts, and desires that characterized your life before Christ saved you. So here's an example. You know, I, I have a Hyundai Elantra. I have no idea what the word Elantra means. Um, but if I hop in that thing and I head down, you know, I, I get to Minute Mart or Goasis or whatever it's called now, and I hop on 71 South, and, and I head to uh, Columbus Man, I, I'm not going to simultaneously arrive in Cleveland, right? If I get on 71 South, it leads to Cleveland. I don't end up in Cleveland and Columbus. I end up in Columbus, all right? You're like, Ronnie, that was not one of your more brilliant illustrations. I'm just going to lay that out to you right now. I get that. We got more coming. But here's the bigger picture, all right? Walking by the Spirit means you are pursuing those things that characterize your faith in Christ, and your love for him. Let's go back to chapter 4, verse 6. Read with me. This is Paul. He says, And because you are sons, you can insert daughters in there too, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So what happens when Jesus saves you is that you, your identity has been irrevocably changed and you have the spirit inside of you now that allows you to walk in the things that God has called you to walk in that please him. But then we get to verse 17 and see that, wait a minute, so the spirit's living inside me, but there's also this tension, isn't there? And there's this tension and there's this friction between the, the old self and, and the new self, the old man and the new man. There's, there's conflict and there's disunity now between your flesh and your spirit. I mean, this is something that didn't exist before Jesus saved you. You didn't have that tension and conflict, but now it's different. Now it's like, like when you get two magnets and you put them together and you're like, why aren't they sticking? 
You know, I don't understand science, so I don't know why they don't stick, but I just know they don't stick. You can't put them flush against each other. They keep bouncing off of each other, right? It's kind of like if you mistake salt for sugar when you bake a cake. I mean, it looks the same, but the two things don't have anything in common. But you know what? If you grab salt, you're going to bake a cake with it. But the first time you take a bite of it, you're going to know that ain't cake, right? So what we read here is that the desires of our spirit are rivals with the desires of our flesh. There's a rivalry going on. It's Michigan versus Ohio State. Enjoy that illustration right there. They both want victory, but they're playing against each other. They are opposing forces. And here's the frightening thing for us is this. The Christian life leaves no margin for maintaining dual lifestyles. Leaves no margin for maintaining dual lifestyles. Now, we still sin, but what the Bible is talking about, what Paul is getting at here, and we'll get into more of this as we go along, is he's talking about lifestyles, and there is no margin for dueling lifestyles. Paul here, and this is a brother that understands the battle, all right? He's real honest about it in Romans 7. Let's just go there. Let's go back to Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Let's look at the way that Paul battles through what he's talking about, right? He's not just laying all this stuff out on the Galatian church as if he has no experience with it. Romans 7, verse uh, 7, verse 18. Follow me. It says this. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So what Paul's, what Paul's saying is, he's all, look, I, I love the things of God. I go after the things of God. And then in 23, he says, but I see in my members, I see in my body, in my mind, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then he says this in verse 24, which is where we partly get the song Amazing Grace. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. And then he says this, he wraps it up. He gives us this encouragement in 25, and he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now we can turn back to Galatians. So you see the tension and the friction that Paul uses to describe the Christian life. I mean, do you guys see that? You just feel like that? I mean, you see the perplexity and complexity in that? You see the anguish of Paul just angsting out on us saying, I want to do what is right. I want to walk by the Spirit. I want to follow after the things of God. But I got this other part of me that is just pulling at me. He's real honest about it. Here's the thing. We are saved. If you are a believer, listen, you are saved from the grave. Indeed, but not from the gravity of our battle against sin. We're saved from the grave, but not from the gravity that still exists with sin that exists in our hearts that God is slowly sanctifying and weeding out. 
But in the gravity, the encouragement, and what Paul is going after right here, which is why he said, thanks be to God, in the gravity of that, there's grace. We have grace in the gravity and the tension and in the disunity that exists inside of us. And then we go back to Galatians in verse 18. It says, those who are led by the Spirit are not condemned under the law. So he's, he's giving us encouragement. He's giving us a picture of what it means to walk by the Spirit. You're not held under the law. You're not being justified by the law or condemned by the law because you've been saved by grace through Jesus Christ. Romans 8 says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We're in the family of faith as we walk by the Spirit. So living a life where your desires are held captive by the Spirit, listen, it means you have the power to not be held captive by the works of the flesh. It means you have a DNA inside of you now that comes from God who saved you and now has His Spirit living inside of you. Does that make sense? So... Let's just recap. Walking by the Spirit means doing and denying. Doing what pleases Jesus, denying what pleases your flesh. Like some of us kind of have come up in this era of church where we learn a lot about coming to faith in Christ, God's grace being bestowed on us, being immersed in it, and all we've got to do is just sit back and just drink it all in. And we do. We do need to drink it all in. But we also... We also need to realize that our flesh is still pulling at us and tugging at us, and that requires effort not to be saved, but to live as a saved person. Now, we say that all the time here. We're just going to keep saying that. But it needs to be clearly understood as we are people that are seeking to walk by the Spirit, but also being, man, just pulled by the flesh in other directions. So it's a battle. Do you guys know that? Did you have expectations when you became a Christian that this wasn't a battle? Like the battle didn't start until you became a Christian, just so you know. Because before that, you didn't care. You didn't care. You didn't have the Spirit of Christ living inside you. So you didn't care what you did. So as soon as Christ saves you, it's not all lollipops and gumdrops after that. There's a war. There's a battle that's in place. So, if walking by the Spirit means living out the new life you received in Jesus Christ, what does it mean then, as we read further, to do the works of the flesh? This contrast that he gives us, this really stark, dark contrast. What does it mean to do the works of the flesh? Well, it means this. It means living out the naturally sinful desires that you inherited from birth. And so when we get into verse 19, man, you got to love Paul, man. No room for error, right? No room for error here. If you ever thought the Bible was a little unclear about what it considers sin, Paul just literally throws out this gauntlet, this beautiful gauntlet of a list. Um, so I just want to take a sec to, to do a little chit-chat about the range of sins that we see on this list. Because most of you probably do, as I read through that a few minutes ago, most of you probably do what I tend to do which is get a fix on the sins that you have very little relationship with, right? Because, I mean, there's some, there's some really crazy things, and there's some other things where you just kind of go, nah, all right. You know, you kind of glaze over those things. I mean, am I wrong about that, right? I mean, I look down, and I'm like, 
You know, drunkenness and orgies, you can cross that one off the list. I feel like I'm good there. Um, there's been very little sorcery in my life, unless you count those Harry Potter movies. Uh, so go ahead, and you can just scratch that one off. You can knock that one off, too. And you, you guys, some of you are going to judge me for that Harry Potter comment. So what happens is that we tend to look at things like this, and we tend to be dismissive and smug until we look at the range of sins Paul lists here. And you know what's frightening about, about this list, this range? He doesn't rank any of them. Like, it's not ranked. You know, I mean, look at, look at the list. I'm talking to you right now. Read through the list. Take a second. He's not ranking them, all right? He doesn't give sexual immorality a 10, but then gives, you know, fits of anger, blah, 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 rivalries and envy, sure, a, a two. That's not what he does. He says in verse 21, he says, let me warn you, all right? Let me warn you. When the Bible gives a warning, it's a good thing. It's a gracious thing. In fact, all warnings are good. We just buck against them because we feel insulted when people warn us about something because it kind of hits at our pride. But what Paul's doing is he's giving us a gracious, gracious warning here. He says, those who habitually practice things such as this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What Paul means, what Paul means, listen, is that if there's no repentance, if there's no fight in you against sin, then the Spirit has not taken up residence in your heart. So what we see in this passage is that two of the evidences that the Spirit of God is in you are these two things. There'll be fruit and there'll be fight. You're going to have fruit coming out of you and you're going to have a measure of fight in you to fight off the works of the flesh. Let's pick up in verse 22 so that we can come off of the works of the flesh and see what he means when he talks about the fruit of walking by the Spirit and what those things are. So in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit are these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ... Just stop right there. Just think about those three words for one second. I know you're not allowed to pause. I just have to keep talking and ranting, preaching. Those who belong to Christ. I mean, I don't know that there's a more beautiful phrase. Certainly not this morning. He says those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So drink that in. Drink in that fruit of the Spirit that Paul is telling us is something that will be characteristic of us if we walk by the Spirit. And notice this. Notice what he says about the word fruit. He doesn't say fruits. He says fruit. It's not, you know, the lucky ones get love and joy and the unlucky ones get patience and self-control. You know, they're not all like just tossing, you know, you, you don't get some, but man, I just wish I had that love thing. Sorry, I don't got love, you know, so I'm just going to go on, you know, being a guy without love for the rest of my life because that's not one of my fruits. No, 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 no. He says, thank you for laughing, babe. He says, fruit, this is all available. All these characteristics are available for the one who has Christ Jesus and the Spirit living inside of him. It's fruit of the Spirit, meaning those who live by the Spirit 
will have the very character of Christ growing and ripening in their lives. Growing and ripening. And not only that, but it's also the kind of fruit to be plucked and enjoyed by those around us. We're not the only benefit of it. People around us benefit from that. So, those who belong to Christ have fruit that gives evidence of the Spirit inside of them and fight because they crucify their fleshly passions and desires. And this is where the tension and the friction come in. All right, so let's be real clear. Let's be real clear, all right? The war for your soul, if you're a believer, has been won by Jesus. The war for your soul has been won by Jesus. You were powerless to defeat sin, so Jesus defeated it on the cross. But until you go home to be with Jesus, you will still fight battles against the sin that still exists in your heart because we are not perfect. We are being made perfect, but we are not there yet. But because the Spirit now lives inside you, listen, you have the power to fight because the cross broke your inability to fight. You now have the power to fight. What this tells us now and what this, te- what, what this gives us this picture of is Jesus and that he's not adverse to your happiness. All right? He doesn't spend all of his spare time in heaven launching anti-enjoyment campaigns. Right? It's just the opposite. Jesus said in John 10 that the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But then he says this. He says, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So what this tells us about Jesus and the fruit and the character of Jesus that he wants shining in our hearts and beaming out of them is that he is committed to his grace and his truth governing your life. Jesus is committed to his grace and truth governing your life so that what results from your life will be the fruit we see characterized by the life of Jesus. That's what it is. See, the result of your reconciliation to God are good works that produce godly fruit. That's the result. That's the result of this reconciliation. So some of you think this. You think, come on, Ronnie. Are you saying that nobody but Christians can do good moral deeds? That's the question that pops up. I mean, let's be honest. That's what pops up in our minds. Are we saying that people that don't know Jesus, what they can't do good things? There's no morality there. They can't do good deeds. Certainly not. They can. But the only people that will be approving of their morality are people. Without repentance and faith in Christ, it's impossible to please God, even when you do really great things. Romans 8.8 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I mean, I mean, there's just nothing subtle about that. Like, that's you read that, I don't even have to explain that. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, what we know is that fruit results from faith, not the other way around. Fruit results from faith. Now, here's an example for you. If you ask me if I'm married, man, I don't reply to you by saying that I have a daughter. I mean, I tell you, well, yeah, you know, I exchanged vows with my wife, and, you know, we've built a life together that produced, among other things, uh, a child. 
Because I can have a child without being married, but a child doesn't make me married either. A child is one of the fruits of marriage. One of the fruits of marriage. I remember my grandpa, he, uh, he at one time, I was about seven years old, and he started dropping all these peach pits around his property into the ground. And about three or four years later, because it just takes forever for those things to start bearing fruit. Man, we just, me and my buddies just found ourselves one summer just literally laying under peach trees, getting drunk on peaches one summer, essentially, you know. But here's what's interesting. Not once did I reach up to pluck a peach from the branch and get an avocado, right? The fruit matched the tree that was planted. Every time I reached up to the peach tree and went pluck, it was the amazing thing of which I was holding that was a peach. That's what was happening right there. So hear what I'm saying. An unbeliever is only free to gratify the flesh, to work to satisfy the lusts and longings for things opposed to God. There's no fight in an unbeliever. On the other hand, someone who has been justified by faith in Jesus and walks by the Spirit is free now to be like Christ because they belong to Christ, like it says in verse 24. So in other words, think about a convict. A convict is not free. Again, not a great illustration. I'm just throwing it out there. A convict is not free to pursue the things that those who have freedom are free to pursue. A free person obeys the laws of the land because they have the freedom to obey them. It's a privilege to have the freedom to obey the laws of the land that keep you free. You guys tracking with me on that? Go back to chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. And then he says, Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to the things that enslaved you because you have been set free to pursue the Spirit who gives you all things to be free. Brothers and sisters, don't submit to your old slave owners anymore. Fight. 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 Fight the works of the flesh. You have the ability to fight. For the unbeliever, the only fight possible is a moral one. It's a morality fight, which will be a shallow victory at best because they have not achieved victory for the ultimate war through Jesus Christ. So with that, Paul says in verse 24, again, let me read it. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So as we finish today, I want to lay out a couple of practical implications, which is this. How, how do we do this? How do we walk? How do we be led by? How do we live by? How do we keep in step with the Spirit as people who now belong to Christ and have the ability to bear fruit and also to be part of the fight against our flesh. How do we do it? We have three things, of course. The first one is this, number one. Pursue righteousness passionately. You can look into verse 16 and 18 and 25. Pursue righteousness Passionately. When Paul says walk by the Spirit, he follows it up by telling us why it's not going to be easy. 
He says there are dueling passions, sword fighting inside of you. So the question for us today is what is stealing your passion for Christ? What is stealing that passion? And some of you are passionate about so many worthless things. So many worthless things. I mean, don't hear me saying you can't pursue hobbies. Don't hear me saying you can't pursue interests. But if they're stealing your love, passion, and enthusiasm for the Lord, it means you're pursuing a thing God has given you more than the God who gave it to you. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6. This is Paul's instructions to a young pastor that he was mentoring. You just want to make a right and go up to 1 Timothy 6. We're going to pick up in verse 3. And this is what he says to his young brother. Right before verse 3, he says this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Then he says this in verse 6, Now, there is great, great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced himself with many pangs. So he's kind of fleshing out that list in Galatians a little bit. He's giving us a little more parameters and boundaries about what that list looks like if some of those things are taken too far. And then he says this, and this is what I want to focus on, verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Walk away. Distance yourself. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He's telling Timothy, brother, stick with it. He's not saying just lay back and whatever comes, comes. Whatever come, what may. He's all pursue. Go after those things of which... You've made good confession of the faith that is now in you. So number one, we want to pursue righteousness passionately. Some of you are runners, right? We just talked to Callie Chandler. She did her half marathon yesterday and makes me not like her as much as I did before that. Um, so whether you run 5Ks or 10Ks or halves or, or marathons, the one thing you have in common with one another is that, that you're a runner. Uh, unless you think people who run 5Ks aren't really runners, and then you need to repent of that. Uh, but let's break that down, okay? To be a runner, number one, I would say I'm not a brilliant guy. It requires running, all right? To experience that thing, that euphoria that, that runners like to call that runner's high, where you just get out there and you feel like, man, I could run for like three days and I don't get tired, and it feels like the greatest thing in the world. Um, that's how I describe it. <laughs> requires running, right? Both those things. Running is part of the equation there. 
To be a better runner than you are today requires that you give up those things which impair your ability to run longer and faster. So to experience the good things that come from running, you must run. I don't know if any of you guys knew that about running. You know, buying running shoes and running gear and loading a playlist onto your iPhone just doesn't make you a runner. You got to run. Pursue righteousness passionately. To walk by the Spirit means we pursue godliness. We pursue righteousness too. Kill your sin aggressively. Verse 24. Lock your eyes down to verse 24. Be ruthless with works of the flesh. Don't discount anything. Don't discount anything. Don't think that a less death-defying sin doesn't have the ability to be equally damaging in the long run. A furnace and a match both burn. One just takes longer to consume your entire body. What Paul has clearly pointed out to us is that all sin is flesh. And Paul told the Galatians to nail that flesh, those passions and desires, to the cross. Be aggressive. Be ruthless. Locate those things. You know, if the Spirit is living inside of you, you know what those things are. Like, what are those things inside right now? What are those things as I'm talking that are coming up and giving you a slightly sick feeling in your stomach that are causing you to be uncomfortable? Things that you are pursuing, things you are not killing that are stealing you. What is it? Go after it. Kill it. Kill it aggressively. How gracious and glorious is God that he enables us by his spirit to crucify those things that would keep us from inheriting the kingdom that he died to give us. How gracious of a God. Not only does he give us fruit, but he gives us the fight so that that fruit keeps blooming and blossoming and growing and ripening. It says a lot about who God is. So pursue righteousness passionately, kill your sin aggressively, and share your fruit generously. Verses 25 and 26. Again, lock your eyes down to those two verses. What's interesting is that when the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident in your life, man, people naturally benefit. Your church family benefits. And I benefit from some of you when you're loving and you're patient and you have self-control. I mean, here's what I mean by that. A loving person is known for being loving because they do loving things for others. I mean, I tried to complicate that line, and, and, that, and that's as simple as I could possibly make it. A patient person blesses others with a long-suffering spirit. So do you see how this fruit that continues to grow and ripen in you, how it just benefits the people around you? It draws them to godly fruit. It's an amazing thing. It's not just for ourselves. It's for others. In the same way that the works of the flesh will adversely affect others, the fruit of the Spirit will bless others. Keep in step with the Spirit so that you bear fruit for others to be blessed by. That's what he means right there when he says keep in step with the Spirit in 25. Keep in step with the things that allow you to continue to pursue godliness. And you won't Find yourself in a church family where there's all kinds of divisions and dissensions and gossip and envy and conceit and all those things he lays out in verse 26 that is so easy for a church family to just descend into. Happens all the time. So, 
What has this type of mirror that we get today, this gospel mirror, what is it exposed in your life? Are you living by the Spirit? If so, are you keeping in step with the Spirit? Or are you like the, the guy in the, in the marching band who's stepping out of time and playing out of rhythm with the rest of the band? Because that's what it looks like spiritually if you're not walking by the Spirit. Are you fighting? I mean, brothers and sisters, are you fighting against your sin? Are you fighting against the works of the flesh? If you're fighting, you're going to see evidence of the glorious fruit that comes from the fight. And you know what? You have grace in the fight because though you're not always going to win the battle, you will be encouraged by the truth that Jesus has already won the war on the cross. Let's pray.